Welcome to this Uvula Audio presentation of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. Volume 7, Continuation of Book 4. 50. How at times of desolation we should put ourselves into God's hands. Disciple. O Lord God, our Heavenly Father, be you now and forever blessed. As you wish, so it is done. As you do, so it is well done. May all my joy depend upon you, not on myself or on any other thing. For I am your servant, Lord. You alone are my true joy, my hope, my crown, my happiness, and my honor. I, who am your servant, possess nothing that is not your gift, and I have no merit of my own. All things are yours, both what you have given and what you have created. From my youth I have been poor and in misery, and my soul is often distressed to the point of tears. Sometimes, too, it is oppressed by the sufferings that come upon me. I long for the joys of your peace, and I pray earnestly for the peace of your children, who are revived in the light of your comfort. Grant me this peace and fill my heart with holy joy. Then the soul of your servant will be full of song and totally devoted to your service. But when you withdraw yourself, as you often do, I cannot follow the way of your commandments. Instead, I fall on my knees and beat my breast, because things are not what they used to be when your lamp shone upon my head and I was protected under the shadow of your wings from the temptations that attack me. Most just Father, ever to be praised, this is the hour of your servant's trial. Father, worthy of all love, it is right that now I should suffer something for your sake. O Father, ever to be glorified, the hour has come which has been destined by you from all eternity, when for a time your servant will seem totally defeated, yet you allow me to feel your presence inwardly. I will be maligned and humiliated, a failure in the eyes of the world, broken by suffering and sickness, so that I may rise again with you in the light of a new dawn and come to glory in heaven. This, most holy Father, is by your appointment, and all is done as you have ordained. You grant this favor to your friends, so that for love of you they may endure every trouble which you allow to come upon them. For nothing can happen in this world without your foreknowledge and consent. Lord, it is good for me that you have humbled me, so that I may learn your just decrees, and remove all conceit and presumption from my heart. It is good for me that I have to suffer humiliation, so that I may see consolation in you rather than in anyone else. So I have learned to stand in awe of your unsearchable judgments, which correct both the just and the unjust with equity and justice. I thank you that you have not spared my wickedness, but have punished me with bitter pain, afflicted me with sorrow, and sent me troubles of every kind. Nothing under heaven can comfort me, only you alone, O Lord my God. For you are the heavenly physician of souls. You both wound and heal. You cast down and raise up again. Your discipline corrects me, 
and your very scourge will heal me. Most loving Father, I place myself entirely in your hands. I submit to your correction. Strike me until my wayward stubbornness surrenders to your will. Make me your true and humble disciple, as you desire, so that I may serve your good pleasure in all through correction. For it is better to be punished in this life than in the next. All things are within your knowledge, and nothing in our consciences is hidden from your eyes. You know all things before they happen, and no one needs to inform you of all the events on this earth. You know what is needful for my progress, and how much trouble helps to scour away the rust of my wickedness. Do to me whatever you wish, and do not reject my sinful life, which is known to no one as fully and clearly as it is to you. Grant me, Lord, to know all that I should know, to love what I should love, to value whatever pleases you, and to reject all that is evil in your sight. Let me not judge superficially by what I see, nor be influenced by what I hear from ignorant people, but, with clear judgment, discern between the spiritual and material, and seek your will and good pleasure at all times, and above everything else. People's minds are often deceived in their judgments, and the worldly are deceived in their concern only for material things. Is anyone made better by being highly regarded by their contemporaries? Someone flatters another, and then one deceives another. The futile deceive the futile. The blind deceive the blind. The weak deceive the weak. And the greater the flattery, the deeper the shame it brings with it. St. Francis says, What every man is in your sight, O Lord, that is what he is, and nothing more. 51. When we fail to reach higher ends, we should take on humble tasks. Christ. My child, you cannot always burn with zeal for virtue, nor constantly remain in deep contemplation. The weakness of sinful human nature will sometimes compel you to descend to lower things and carry the burdens of this present life with sorrow. As long as you are in your mortal body, you will be subject to weariness and sadness of heart. In this life you will often lament the burdens of your body, which prevent you surrendering yourself totally to the life of the Spirit and to divine contemplation. When this happens, you will be wise to resort to humble external tasks and to restore yourself by good works. Wait for my coming with unshakable trust and accept your exile and desolation of spirit with patience until I come again and set you free from all anxiety. Then you will forget all your previous toil and will enjoy inward peace. I will open before you the fine landscape of the scriptures so that you may begin to advance in the way of my commandments with a free heart. Then you will say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. 52. How we deserve punishment and are not worthy of God's consolation. Disciple. Lord, I am not worthy of your consolation, nor of any spiritual experience. You deal justly with me when you leave me poor and desolate. If I wept a whole sea of tears, 
I would still not deserve your comfort. I am worthy of nothing but scourging and punishment, for I have frequently and deeply offended you, and have failed greatly in many ways. So bearing this in mind, I do not deserve the smallest consolation. Yet, most gracious and merciful God, you do not want any of your creatures to perish. Desiring to show your generosity and goodness to those who are the objects of your mercy, you reach down to console your servant more than I deserve, and in ways beyond our knowledge, for your consolation is not like people's empty words. What have I done that you should grant me any heavenly consolation? I cannot remember any good that I have done, but have always been prone to sin and slow to make amends. This is the undeniable truth. If I pleaded in any other way, you would challenge me, and no one could defend me. All I have deserved for my sins is hell and everlasting fire. I confess sincerely that I am only fit to be scorned and despised. I am not fit to be counted among your faithful servants. Although I am pained to repeat it, for the sake of truth I will accuse myself, so that I may better deserve your mercy. Guilty and confused, what shall I say? I can only say, I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned. Be merciful and forgive. Allow me time to show my sorrow before I go, never to return to the land of gloom and deep darkness. Why do you insist that guilty and wretched sinners repent and humble themselves for their offenses? It is because true penitence and humbleness of heart emerge from the hope of pardon. The troubled conscience is reconciled. The lost grace is restored and humanity is spared the anger of God. Thus God and the humble penitent greet each other in a holy embrace. Deep sorrow for sin is an acceptable sacrifice to you, Lord and is more fragrant in your sight than clouds of incense. This is the precious ointment which you once allowed to be poured on your sacred feet, for you have never despised a contrite and humble heart. Here at your feet is the place of refuge from the hatred of the enemy. Here is the place of amendment and cleansing from every stain of sin. 53. God's grace and worldly wisdom do not mix. Christ My child, my grace is precious and cannot be mixed with worldly concerns and pleasures. So if you wish to receive it, you must remove every obstacle to grace, find a secret place, and love the solitary life. Do not engage in conversation with others, but instead pour out devout prayer to God, so that you may preserve a humble mind and a clear conscience. Count the whole world as nothing, and put waiting on God before all outward things. For you cannot pay attention to me and at the same time enjoy worldly things. Stay detached from friends and neighbors, and apart from the world's comforts. It is for this reason that the blessed Apostle Peter asks all the faithful in Christ to be as aliens in a foreign land. Those who are not attached to worldly things will face death with confidence. But a weak soul cannot bear to be so detached from all things, nor can a worldly wise person understand the freedom of a spiritual one. So when someone sincerely wishes to be spiritual, there must be renunciation of everything, friends as well as strangers, 
and they must be cautious of no more than themselves. If you can gain complete mastery of self, you will easily master everything else. Triumphing over the self is the perfect victory. For those who are able to control their passions by their reason, and whose reason is subject to me, are masters both of themselves and of the world. If you wish to reach the height of perfection, you must make a bold start. Lay the axe to the roots, cut out and destroy all excessive and secret love of self and of any personal and material advantage. From this inordinate self-love emerge all those other faults that have to be completely overcome. But as soon as this evil is mastered and subdued, great peace and lasting tranquility will follow. However, few people endeavor completely to die to self and to rise wholly above it. Consequently, they remain absorbed in themselves and quite unable to rise above the self in spirit. Those who desire to walk with me in true freedom must mortify all irregular and undisciplined desires and have no selfish longing after any creature. 54. On the Opposite Working of Nature and Grace Christ My child, study carefully the impulses of nature and grace, for they are opposed to one another. They work in such a subtle manner that even spiritual, holy, and enlightened people can hardly distinguish between them. In fact, all people desire what is good, and in words and deeds pretend to some sort of goodness, so that many are deceived by their appearance of virtue. Nature is crafty and seduces many, snaring and deceiving them, and always works for her own ends. But grace moves in simplicity, avoiding every appearance of evil. She makes no attempt to deceive, and does all things purely for the love of God, in whom she rests as her final goal. Nature is unwilling to be mortified, checked or overcome, obedient or willingly subject. Grace mortifies herself, resists sensuality, submits to control, and seeks to be overcome. She does not aim at enjoying her own liberty, but loves to be under discipline and does not wish to dominate anyone. Rather, she desires to live, abide, and exist always under God's rule, and for his sake she is willing to submit humbly to all people. Nature works for her own interests and calculates what profit she may gain from others. Grace does not consider what may be useful or helpful to her, but only what may be for the good of many. Nature is eager to receive promotion and reward. Grace faithfully ascribes all honor and glory to God. Nature fears shame and contempt. Grace is glad to suffer reproach for the name of Jesus. Nature loves luxury and leisure for the body. Grace cannot be idle, but cheerfully welcomes work. Nature loves to enjoy rare and beautiful things, and hates the cheap and ugly. Grace takes pleasure in simple and humble things, neither despising the rough nor refusing to wear the old and tattered clothes. Nature pays attention to worldly matters, enjoys this world's wealth, grieves at any loss, and is angered by any defaming remark. Grace pays attention to eternal things, and is not attached to the temporal. 
The loss of possessions fail to move her, and hard words to anger her, for she stores up her treasures and joy in heaven, where none of it can be lost. Nature is greedy and grasps more readily than she gives, loving to keep things for her personal use. Grace is kind and generous and shuns private interests, is contented with little, and considers that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Nature inclines toward creatures, to the body which is her own, to vanities, to restlessness. Grace draws toward God and virtue. Renouncing creatures, she flees the world, loathes the lusts of the flesh, limits her travels, and shuns public appearances. Nature is keen to enjoy any outward satisfaction that will gratify the senses. Grace seeks comfort only in God and seeks pleasure in the supreme good above all visible things. Nature does everything for her own gain and interest. She does nothing without a fee, hoping either to gain some equal or greater return for her services, or else praise and favor. Grace seeks no worldly return and asks for no reward, except God alone. She desires no more of life's necessities than will help to obtain the things of eternity. Nature takes pleasure in lots of friends and relations. She boasts of aristocracy and high birth. She makes herself agreeable to the powerful, flatters the rich, and praises those who like her. Grace loves even her enemies, takes no pride in the number of her friends, and thinks little of high birth, unless it is combined with greater virtue. She favors the poor rather than the rich, and has more in common with the honorable than the powerful. She takes pleasure in those who are honest, not deceivers. She constantly encourages the good to work earnestly for the greater gifts, and by means of these virtues to become like the Son of God. Nature is quick to complain of need and hardship. Grace bears poverty with courage. Nature, struggling and striving on her own behalf, turns everything to her own interest. Grace refers all things to God, from whom they come. She attributes no good to herself. She is not arrogant and presumptuous. She does not argue and exalt her own opinions before others, but submits all her powers of mind and perception to the internal wisdom and judgment of God. Nature is curious to know secrets and to hear news. She loves to be seen in public and to enjoy experiences. She desires recognition and to do such things to win praise and admiration. Grace does not care for news or novelties because all these things spring from ancient human corruption, for there is nothing new or lasting in this world. Grace therefore teaches us how the senses are to be disciplined and proud complacency avoided, how anything prone to excite praise and admiration should be humbly concealed, and how in all things and in all knowledge some useful fruit should be sought, together with the praise and honor of God. She wants no praise for herself or her actions, but desires that God may be blessed in his gifts, who out of pure love bestows all things. Grace is a supernatural light and the special gift of God, the token of his chosen, and the pledge of salvation. Grace lifts humanity from earthly things to love the heavenly 
and from the temporal to the spiritual. So the more nature is controlled and overcome, the richer is the grace given while people are daily, by new visitations, being inwardly renewed according to the image of the Creator. 55. On the Corruption of Nature and the Power of Grace Disciple O Lord my God, you have created in me your own image and likeness. Grant me this grace so essential to my salvation, that I may conquer the lower elements of my nature, which pull me down into sin and hell. I can feel inside my own being the power of sin, battling against the rule of my mind, leading me to be an obedient slave to all kinds of sensuality. I cannot resist these onslaughts unless your most holy grace is poured brightly into my heart to help me. I need your grace in the fullest measure to suppress that nature which has always inclined to evil from my youth upwards. For it fell through Adam, the first human being, and was tainted by sin, with the penalty of that fault descending upon all humanity. So nature which you created good and upright has now become the total expression of corruption and weakness. For when it is left to itself, it turns always toward evil and low things. The little strength that remains is only like a small spark buried beneath the ashes. The same natural reason, though hidden in deep darkness, still retains the power to know good and evil, and to discern truth and falsehood. But it is powerless to do what it knows to be good. Neither does it enjoy the full light of truth, nor its former healthy attachments. O oh Lord my God, it happens that while I inwardly delight in your law and know that your commandments are good, just, and holy, both for the condemnation of all evil and avoidance of sin, yet in my body I serve the law of sin and obey my sensual desires rather than my reason. Hence, while I indeed do possess the will to do what is good, I find myself powerless to follow it. In this I make many good resolutions, but through a lack of grace to help my weakness, any small obstacle leads to discouragement and failure. Also, I know the way to perfection and see clearly what I ought to do, but I am weighed down by the burden of my own corruption and progress no nearer to perfection. Lord, how desperately I need your grace if I am to undertake, carry out, and complete any good work. Without it, I can achieve nothing. In you and through the power of your grace, all things are possible. O true and heavenly grace, without which our own merits are nothing, and our natural gifts of no value. Neither arts nor riches, beauty nor strength, genius nor eloquence, have any value in your eyes, Lord, unless joined to grace. For the gifts of nature are common to all people, good and bad alike, but grace or love are your special gift to those whom you choose. Those who are sealed with this grace are counted worthy of eternal life. So excellent is this grace that neither the gift of prophecy nor the working of miracles nor any speculations, however sublime, are of any value without it. Indeed, not even faith or hope or any other virtue is acceptable to you without love and grace. O most blessed grace, 
who makes the poor in spirit rich in virtues, and the richly blessed humble in the heart, come down on me. Fill me with your comfort, unless my soul faints from weariness and dryness of mind. Lord, I pray that I may find favor in your sight, for your grace is sufficient for me, even if I receive none of the things which nature desires. However often I am tempted, I will fear no evil as long as your grace remains with me. Your grace is my strength, my advice, and my help. It is more powerful than all my enemies and wiser than all the philosophers. It is the teacher of the truth, the instructor of doctrine, the light of the heart, the consoler of all afflictions. It casts out sorrow, drives away fear, encourages devotion, and leads to penitence. Without grace I am nothing but a fruitless tree or a withered branch, fit only for destruction. So, Lord, may your grace always lead and follow me and keep me ever concentrating on good works. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 56. How we must deny ourselves and follow Christ to the cross. Christ. My child, you will be able to enter my life in so far as you are willing to forsake yourself. And the absence of craving for material things leads to inner peace. So does the forsaking of self unite your heart to God. I want you to learn total self-surrender and to accept my will without any argument or complaint. Follow me, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way there is no progress. Without the truth there is no knowledge. Without the life there is no living. I am the way you must follow, the truth you must believe, and the life for which you must hope. I am the indestructible way, the impeccable truth, and the immortal life. I am the most noble way, the ultimate truth, the true life, blessed and uncreated. If you stay in my way, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, and you shall lay hold of eternal life. If you wish to enter into life, keep my commandments. If you wish to know the truth, believe me. If you wish to be perfect, sell everything. If you wish to be my disciple, deny yourself. If you wish to possess blessed life, despise this present one. If you wish to be exalted in heaven, be humble in this world. If you wish to reign with me, carry the cross with me. For none except the servants of the cross discover the way to true light and blessedness. Disciple Lord Jesus, just as your short life was despised by the world, grant that I may follow you in accepting the world's contempt. For the servant is not greater than his master nor is the pupil superior to his teacher. Let your servant be instructed in your life, for it is the source of salvation and true holiness. Whatever I study or hear as well as this offers me neither new strength nor greater joy. Christ My child, since you know and have studied these things, blessed are you if you do them. Whoever truly loves me knows and obeys my commands. I will love him and will reveal myself to him, and he will reign with me in the kingdom of my Father. Disciple 
Lord Jesus, let it be as you have said, and may I deserve the fulfillment of your promise. I have accepted the cross from your own hands since you have laid it upon me. I have accepted it and will carry it unto death. The life of a good religious is in fact a cross, but it is also our guide to heaven. We have started out. We may not turn back, nor can we abandon it. So come on, my companions. Let us go forward together. Jesus will be with us. For Jesus' sake, we have taken up the cross. For Christ's sake, let us persevere. He will be our helper, who is also our leader. He has gone before us. Look, our King advances in the front line and will fight for us. Let us follow with courage. No terrors will frighten us. We must be ready to die bravely in battle and never blemish our glory by deserting the cross. 57. How we should not despair if we fall into occasional faults. Christ. My child, it is more pleasing to me if you have patience and humility in adversity rather than great devotion and comfort at easier moments. Why are you so distressed when you are criticized in some small matter? Even if it had been a much more serious matter, that is no reason for you to be disturbed. Let it pass. It is not your first mistake, or anything new. Nor, if you live long, will it be your last. You are brave enough when you encounter no opposition. You can give good advice and encouragement to others. But when trouble knocks unexpectedly on your own door, your strength and judgment fail you. Remember the great weakness which you often experience in little troubles. Yet these things happen for your own good. Banish discouragement from your heart as best you can, and if trouble comes, never let it depress or hinder you for long. At the least, if you cannot bear it cheerfully, tolerate it bravely. Even if you are reluctant to bear it and feel angry, Control yourself, and do not allow rash words to emerge from you. You may harm Christ's little ones. The violence of your feelings will soon subside, and grace will return to heal your inner pain. As I live, says the Lord, I am ready to help and comfort you more than ever, if you trust me and call on me with devotion. Be of good heart and prepare yourself to endure greater trials. All is not lost. However often you feel tempted or deeply troubled, you are not God, after all, just human, not even an angel. How can you expect to remain in a constant state of virtue when this is not possible even for an angel of heaven, nor for the first person in the Garden of Eden? I am he who grants healing and safety to those in distress, and I lift up to my divinity those who acknowledge their weakness. Disciple. Lord, your words are blessed. They are sweeter to my mouth than honey and the honeycomb. What would I do in such trials and troubles as these if you did not sustain me with your holy words? As long as I finally come to the haven of salvation, what does the nature or size of my sufferings matter? Grant me a holy death and a joyful passing out of this world. Remember me, O oh my God and lead me in the right way to your kingdom. 58. How we may not search into the mysterious judgments of God. Christ. 
My child, avoid controversies above your understanding and the unfathomable judgments of God. Do not argue why this person is forsaken and another is given great gifts, or why one is grievously afflicted while another is richly rewarded. Such things are above human understanding, and neither reasoning nor debate is fit to explain the judgments of God. So when the enemy puts these issues into your mind, or when inquisitive people ask about them, answer with the prophet's words, You are righteous, O Lord, and your judgments are right. My judgments are to be respected and not debated, because they are beyond the comprehension of the human mind. Do not argue over the merits of the saints, which is the holiest, or which the greater in the kingdom of heaven. This often leads to discord and unprofitable disputes, feeding pride and empty boasting, which at every turn leads to envy and dissension. Now this desire to know and explore such matters is of no benefit and is displeasing to the saints themselves. For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. And my peace is founded on humility, not self-promotion. Some in their ardent enthusiasm profess a greater devotion to one saint than another. But this devotion is of human origin, not divine. I am he who made all the saints. I gave them grace. I endowed them with glory. I know the merits of each. I went before them with my blessings. I knew my beloved ones before time began. I chose them out of the world. They did not first choose me. I called them by grace. I drew them by mercy. I was their guide in many temptations. I poured out on them wonderful consolations. I gave them perseverance and crowned their patience. I know them, the first and the last, and enfold them all in my boundless love. I am to be praised in all my saints. I am to be blessed above all things and to be honored in each of those whom I have predestined and raised to such glory through no previous virtues of their own. Anyone, therefore, who disparages one of the least of my saints in no way adds to the glory of a greater by doing so, for small and great alike are my creation. And anyone who speaks lightly of any of the saints speaks lightly both of myself and of all the company of heaven. All are one in the bonds of love. Their thoughts and aspirations are one, and all love each other in unity. But above all of this, they love me more than themselves and their own virtues. Taken up out of themselves and carried beyond the love of self, they are totally involved in loving me, in whom they rest in peace and joy. Nothing can distract or dismay them, for they are full of the eternal truth and burn with the fire of unquenchable love. So let the wicked and worldly refrain from disputes about the standing of the saints, for they care for nothing except their own gratification. In their own interest, they exaggerate or trivialize facts and pay no regard to the eternal truth. In the case of many, it is through ignorance especially those who have little understanding and are seldom capable of loving anyone with a pure and spiritual love. Such people are strongly attracted to one person or another by natural affection and human friendship. As they behave towards the people of earth, so they imagine they can react to the saints in heaven. 
but the thoughts of imperfect people are greatly below those given to spiritual perception through the revelations of God. So beware, my child, of being very curious about matters beyond your knowledge. Let your aim be to be counted even the least in the kingdom of God. Even if you could know who is the holiest and the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, what use would that knowledge be unless it leads you to humble yourself before me and rise up to praise my name with greater devotion? It is far more acceptable to God that you consider the enormity of your own sins, the smallness of your virtue, and how far you are from the perfection of the saints, than that you should argue about who is greater or lesser among them. It is better to pray to the saints with devout prayer and sorrow and to implore their glorious prayers than to search into their secrets with pointless curiosity. The saints enjoy good and perfect contentment. Oh, if only people could be content and control their empty talk. The saints do not boast of their own virtues. They attribute no goodness to themselves, but only to me, for I gave them everything through my endless love. They are filled with such a deep love for God and with such an overwhelming joy that nothing is wanting to their glory, nor can anything be lacking in their happiness. The higher they stand in glory, the more humble the saints are in themselves, and the closer they are to me and more loved. So you have the biblical words that they fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. Many ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, not knowing whether they themselves will ever be counted even the least in heaven? It's a great thing to be even the least in heaven, where all are great, for all shall be called the children of God, and will really be so. The least shall be equal to a thousand ordinary people, but the sinners, for all their hundred years, will die. When the disciples asked, who should be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they received the reply, Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Woe to those who are too proud willingly to humble themselves like little children. For the humble gates of heaven will not open to them. Woe also to the rich who enjoy their pleasures in this life. For while the poor enter into the kingdom of heaven, they shall stand weeping outside. Be glad, you humble people. Leap for joy, O you poor. If you will but live in the truth, the kingdom of God is yours. 59. That we should hope and trust in God alone. Disciple. Lord, in this life, what can I put my trust in? What is my greatest comfort on earth? Is it not only you, O Lord my God, whose mercy is endless? Have I ever prospered without you? And did I suffer badly when you were at hand? I would prefer to be poor for your sake than rich without you. I would choose to be a vagrant on the face of the earth with you rather than possess heaven without you. For where you are, there is heaven. And where you are not, there is death and hell. You are my only desire. I cry, pray, and sigh for you. I cannot put my trust in any mortals to give me the help sufficient for my needs, but only in you alone, my God. You are my hope, my trust, my strength, 
and most reliable in all things. People seek their own interests, but you, Lord, seek only my salvation and welfare, and turn all things to my good. Even when you expose me to various temptations and hardships, you order them completely for my good, for that is your way to test your chosen servant by many trials. During trials of this kind, my love and praise is your due, no less than when you fill my soul with heavenly comfort. Then, O Lord God, I place my whole hope and trust in you. I put all my trouble and distress onto you. Whenever I look elsewhere, I find things weak and unstable. The number of my friends is no help. Powerful allies will not be able to help. Wise counselors will not be able to give me useful answers, nor learned books give me comfort. No precious jewel can ransom me, nor can any secret or pleasant place offer refuge, unless you yourself stand at my side to assist and help me, to strengthen, cheer, instruct, and protect me. Unless you stay with me, all things that seem to bring peace and happiness are nothing, for they cannot offer true happiness. You alone are the end of all good things, the fullness of life, the depth of wisdom. The greatest comfort for your servant is to trust in you above all else. My God, Father of mercies, I look to you, I trust in you. Bless and sanctify my soul with your heavenly blessing, that it may become your holy dwelling and the seat of your eternal joy. Let nothing remain in the temple of your glory to offend the sight of your divine majesty. Of your great goodness and abundant mercy, look on me. Hear the prayer of your humble servant, an exile from home in the land of the shadow of death. Guard and preserve the soul of your servant among the many perils of corruptible life. Let your grace go with me and guide me in the way of peace to my native land of perpetual light. The End This has been an Uvula Audio presentation of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis. I'm your narrator, Jim Campanella. The opening and closing themes were Jerusalem, My Destiny, composed by Rory Cooney. Please feel free to write us and tell us what you think at uvulaaudio at uvulaaudio.com. You can also become a Facebook fan of Uvula Audio. Just do a search for Uvula Audio on Facebook, or you can do it from the main Uvula Audio webpage. As usual, check out our Cafe Press website for t-shirts, etc. For other Uvula Audio titles, please go to our website at www.uvulaaudio.com. We are listed on iTunes, and you can subscribe and download our podcasts for free from there. If you like our podcast, please feel free to tip us whatever amount you may like using the secure PayPal links at uvulaaudio.com. From all of us at Uvula Audio, we thank you.